Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Sons of UCF, a unique UCF podcast experience. Now... Say hello to Adam and Mike. All right, welcome in to a special edition of the Sons of UCF show. This is a uh, a preview, a mini, uh, a smaller edition. We'll get to that in just a second. I'm Adam, and as always, I've got UCF Mike with me. Mike, uh, game week. Uh, we are uh, we're so close. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Just counting down the hours now to kick off. Getting a little excited. That's the one good thing about a noon kickoff is you don't have to wait all day on Saturday for, for the game to start. So I'll be ready. Yeah, Mike will be ready. Hopefully UCF will be ready as well. So we're going to do a couple of, of things here. We're going to give you a little bit of nuggets, a little bit of insight on the uh, on the ECU football program as best as we can. They have not played a game this year, so it's tough to really give you anything definitive. Uh, we've got a guest, a special guest coming up here in just a, just a few minutes. So hopefully we'll give us some more insight and uh, some of you guys really enjoy hearing from. Uh, so not our traditional show, a, a smaller show, a, 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 a sort of a mini episode, Mike. So we need a catchy name for this. So I'm going to I'm going to drop this catchy name. So some people call their shows extra or overtime or special edition. These uh, mini shows, however often we do these, Sons of UCF, partly sunny. I love the idea because, frankly, I came up with it this morning. <laughs> I was trying to think of something with the word sun in it, sunny side up. I, I don't know. But partly sunny just hit me. And I texted it to you. You said you liked it, so we're rolling with it. So this is welcome to uh, Sons of UCF, the partly sunny edition for uh, for ECU. Uh, so Mike and I are going to give you some you know some insight on ECU the best we can, and and uh, we will uh, we'll go from there. A couple of particulars, so some things that we can update you on as the, the week has dragged on. So you heard our full show on Tuesday. If you have not, make sure you find that wherever you get your podcast. You can search Sons of UCF. We're on all those major platforms. We didn't have a lot of clarity on Tuesday, Mike, about uh, transfers, about injured players, and uh, and here we are at the end of the week. And guess what? No updates. We don't have any uh, any transparency in that yet either. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all, especially on the injury front. With Hypo, you don't expect him to reveal anything, not to East Carolina and not to the fans and not to – probably not even to Mrs. Hypo. Mrs. But, yeah, uh, Mrs. H has gotten frozen out. So what we do know is, uh, again, there there's really four key guys that were um, dealing with injuries. Trey Nixon with what we think is a, is a collarbone slash maybe a shoulder – Greg McRae, which looked like a lower, you know, lower leg injury, could have been knee, could have been ankle. Uh, Parker Boudreaux had a concussion, and then Antoine Collier with a shoulder. We don't know how any of those individuals are doing, so I don't know what to expect. I think that prevailing thought is that you will not see uh, Trey Nixon. Sound like most folks were thinking his injury was a, you know, just a tad more serious than uh, than some of the other guys. Um, but uh, 
I believe it was uh, Anthony Tucker dropped that Greg McRae has been practicing all week, so that would lead you to think he's playing, but we don't have clarity on those guys either, Mike. Uh, does does any of that concern you going into this game? Well, I'm concerned about Trey Nixon long-term. For this particular game, no, I'm not really concerned. We should be able to beat these guys with or without those four names you mentioned. Uh, we have a big stable of running backs ready to go. We'll, we'll know how healthy McRae is right away because if he's not starting – then you know, we obviously know the injury is a little more serious, but it also could be just resting him in a week where we probably don't need him to beat East Carolina, and we can take care of them with Ventavious Thompson and the rest of the guys back there. Yeah, and he, maybe he's on a pitch count, Mike. He, he might be out there, but you know, not you know, not going to get the, the, a lot of carries, so maybe he's going to be on a pinch count. Um, so you never know, I guess, what you're going to get there. Uh, the, the Collier injury is another one that's uh, – uh, a bit of a concern, obviously, you know, the, the secondary is already pretty young, starting uh, true freshman cornerback Corey Thornton. Zamari Maxwell is still kind of a young player. Obviously, Richie Grant and Aaron Robinson have some experience, but, the you know, the backup level guys, you know, for that spot, Dylan Lester, uh, Jermaine McMillan, uh, Derek Gaines, th- those guys haven't played a ton. This is a good spot where, uh, uh, you know, a transfer, you know, a uh, maybe a, a kid with a little bit more seasoning, Devad Wilson, uh, might, uh, might help, but uh, we don't know about transfers either, Mike, so... Uh, Devad Wilson was on his Instagram this weekend, or maybe, or this week rather, maybe it was his Snapchat. I can't keep track of all those. And uh, he he was kind of dancing around, seemed to be indicating maybe he was going to, you know, be eligible and maybe he'd be playing, but nothing formal came out. I think he kind of walked that back a little bit. So Devad Wilson, Jaden Francois, Deontay Marks, R.J. Harvey, as of uh, Thursday's Hypel press conference, no updates on those guys either. And. That wouldn't be something if, if they were known to be eligible. Hypo, I would think, would just say, "Okay, yeah, those guys are playing." Maybe we're still waiting on work from those guys. It's a little weird, especially in this season where it seems like it should be very easy to get eligibility for transfers. That we're waiting now, even after the season was delayed a couple of weeks, even now a couple more weeks into the season. So hopefully, we hear a word on those guys soon. Hopefully, we'll see them out there on Saturday. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I guess we'll, we'll we'll find out as as we get closer, Mike. And speaking of Saturday, another big change. I know you're excited about this. The game was previously scheduled to be on ESPN Plus. There were uh, some some concerns. There were some problems with the uh, Notre Dame Wake Forest game. That game had to be postponed. And so we are back in the prime spot, baby. Twelve noon, high noon, ABC, Mike. How how pleased are you that you don't have to shell out five bucks for ESPN Plus? I am pumped because I wasn't even going to shell out the five bucks. I was going to do the free week. Because who knows if we were going to have another game on that platform this year. So I was going to do the free week trial. I was going to do it on Friday night just to make sure it worked properly and everything. But now I don't even have to do that. ABC again. And the other great thing about that is uh, you can still listen to the Mark Daniels call if you want to. Because there won't be that whole mix up with the, the radio, the online stuff. You can't really do games like that. But you have that option now if you want to do that. Well, depending upon how you feel about our guests this week, you might not want to do that. So, uh, so let's not let's not throw <laughs> that out just yet. But obviously, you know, there's, listen, there's tons of advantages to uh, to having the, the game on ABC. I think it was uh, Eric uh, Lopez from uh, from Black and Gold Banneret uh, posted that UCF I think drew like a, a three million viewership number for the Georgia Tech game, which is a uh, it's a pretty big number, Mike. I mean, that's a that's a pretty you know pretty solid rating uh, overall. Yeah, I believe it's the largest number we've done in a while, bigger than even the Pittsburgh game last year, which was at the same time slot, 3.30 on ABC. Uh, probably our biggest game since, what, the Fiesta Bowl against the LSU, I would think? Yeah. Or even the Peach Bowl? Yeah, you're probably right. Um, 
probably slightly higher than the Gasparilla Bowl, I assume. Um, yeah, so I mean, back-to-back games, I mean, you know, a lot of people are kind of saying, hey, this is, a, this is you know, further evidence that UCF is a draw, that, uh, you know, UCF is a, is a team that will rate. Um, you know, obviously we don't know that to be factual. Maybe we can find out from our, our guests this week if that's true or not. But um, it certainly bodes well for the brand you know, to, to have UCF back out there. And listen, we had eyeballs and uh, eyeballs that watched us for, for Georgia Tech even throughout the week have continued to sing the praises of UCF. So it, it can't hurt to have uh, another, you know, big uh, high profile slot on the, uh, on the big stage on the, on the big network. That's right. And the, the ratings may not be as high this week. One, we're playing East Carolina instead of Georgia tech and two, the sec is back around this week too. The Gators will be playing at the same time. Uh, so don't expect a 3 million number this week, especially once we're blowing these guys out in the second half. Well, let's talk about these guys, Mike. These guys would be the East Carolina Pirates, who, um, for those of you who are um, uh, uh, challenged geographically, uh, turns out they're in North Carolina, not South Carolina. So make that, don't make that mistake as you're uh, as you're looking these guys up, Mike. East Carolina is a team that, uh, again, they have not played a game this season. They uh, early on had some concerns with the virus, and so they were, um, you know, they were not practicing for a while. I think they had a, a game postponed, if I have that right. So. They are a team that uh, we don't know much about. What we do know is you, you look at the projections of some of the preseason prognostications, for whatever those are worth, and ECU was you know somewhere in that 8, 9, 10, and a handful of guys even had them finishing 11th, uh, which is dead last, by the way, in the American Conference. So don't quite yet know what to expect from an ECU team that's rolling in, Mike, because they haven't played anything. <laughs> well, that's basing all the stuff on last year they basically were the last place team if it wasn't for UConn last year which was their one win in the conference they had four wins overall they went four and eight the other three teams they beat last year Gardner Webb William and Mary both of them and old yeah and and counted as one win and Old Dominion Mm. so those are their four wins if you add in UConn they were one and seven the AAC but you know this is their second year now under head coach Mike Houston came over from James Madison where he won a FCS championship in 2016. So he can coach football. (laughs) Who knows what he can do with this team, but we've seen coaches and UCF fans know firsthand what coaches can do in a second year. Just look at Scott Frost going from six and six to 13 and zero, and go back to O'Leary. His very first year, we went 0 and 11. The next year we're in the conference championship game. We win the East and we go to the Hawaii bowl, first bowl game in school history. So it is possible for schools to make a big jump from year one to year two. Oh, wow. Are you, so are you projecting that this, this game could be a problem? No. Okay. Uh, so uh, <laughs> here's what we know about ECU. They have a couple of guys coming back, some names you probably will recall. Their, their quarterback is a gentleman by the name of Holton Ehlers. Uh, we first got introduced to him, Mike. Uh, we played out there uh, in 2018. That's the infamous Daryl Mack uh, game. Maybe not infamous, but the game where Daryl Mack started and Mackenzie Milton just had warmed up on the sideline every series but never came into the game. Uh, Ehlers played well that day. I mean, I think we, we all kind of walked away impressed for a true freshman. He was poised and, uh, you know, he looked good. Um, you know, he had a, a, a decent year last year. I, I don't know what your, what your stealing is for Holton Ayers. He had 21 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Uh, he's also kind of a threat to, to pull the ball down and run. He had six rushing touchdowns. Obviously, uh, the ECU will go as far as he can take them. I think we, we thought he had promise again last year, maybe a bit of a regression. So we'll see how, uh, how he's, you know, uh, adjusted to year two of the new system. Again, you know, if we want to be 
I guess on the positive side, we saw what year two in the system can do for some of our guys. We're seeing it right now with Dylan Gabriel. We obviously saw it previously with McKenzie. So maybe this is the year two uh, uh, jump or spurt uh, for Holton Aylers. I guess we won't know until we see him on the field. All right. He did seem more comfortable towards the end of the season. Maybe just being more familiar with the system. If you look at the numbers he put up in the last five games of the year, they're a lot better than the first five games, first six games. So he is a threat to run. He's a big kid. And I think we got to be careful with him around the red. If they get into the red zone, he, like you said, I think he scored six touchdowns on the ground last year, ran for 359 yards. I think he had to led the team in rushing touchdowns. That's correct, so man. he's the threat when you get down close inside the five, but um, 21 touchdowns last year, over 3000 yards, good season, no, nothing spectacular. I mean, he's not uh, Dylan Gabriel. He's not Mackenzie Milton, but he's a good player. He is a lefty. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a battle of lefties out there on Saturday. Decent player. And we'll see now this is his third year as a starting quarterback in college. So if the light's going to go on for him. It's going to go on for him this year. Well, he's got weapons on the outside. I would say the receiving core are probably names that you've heard uh, in and around uh, their program for a couple of years, highlighted by uh, who is a, a true sophomore uh, wide receiver named CJ Johnson. Uh, this kid got a lot of love last year. I remember during the broadcast, I think it was Ross Tucker from CBS Sports, I think proposed marriage uh, to him on the air um, because he talked about him so much. But, you know, the kid's good, 6'2", 235. Uh, you know, he's a big, strong kid. Then they have uh, uh, two other guys, two smaller uh, guys. Taylor Sneeze, only 5'7". I think he was number 22, Mike. I remember him carving us up the middle a few different times. And then a kid by the name of Blake, uh, Blake Prohl, if that sounds familiar. I think he is the son of former NFL receiver Ricky Prohl. Uh, he's 6'1", 185. So they do have some uh, some veteran guys coming back. Uh, Sneed's a redshirt sophomore, so his third year. Pearl's a redshirt junior, so his fourth year. And obviously C.J. Johnson, a ton of talent on the outside, Mike. So if Aylers can get the ball out, he's got he's got people to throw it to. That's right. Those guys put up some pretty decent numbers last year and spread across because Johnson had 54 catches, Pearl had 54 catches, and Sneed led the team with 66. So pretty balanced among those three. And I don't know if I just feel old or – Time has just flown by that fast. But when I saw the last name Prol, I said, oh, maybe that's Ricky Prol's brother. And I Googled <laughs> it, and it's his son. Yes. I didn't think Ricky Prol Ricky is older than I thought. Or I, he was playing a lot longer ago than I, I remembered. Yeah, we'll save the Ricky Pohl uh, breakdown for a future episode. Um, but if if they're going to be successful, Mike, obviously you know, they, uh, they need to get the ball to those guys. If they can do that – they're going to uh, hopefully uh, hold off pressure from UCF's defensive line, which means the offensive line is going to be uh, of utmost importance, Mike. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting these, uh, this information from their, their 24-7 sports site. It's called Hoist the Colors. There's a U in colors. I don't know why. Um, and they're listing the depth chart um, for the upcoming game. And, uh, and according to them, the right tackle for, uh, for ECU is a kid named Bailey Malovic, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And the stats here have him going 6'6", 257. And if you go to the left side of the line, they have a redshirt senior, Deontay Smith. He is uh, He's weighing in at 274 pounds. Now, they do have three 300-plus guys uh, sort of in the in the inside there, in the interior. But on the, on the right and left, uh, guys who are kind of smaller in size, Mike, which brings down their average weight on the offensive line. Again, don't know if any of that's true, um, but uh, – you know, the offensive line certainly could be an opportunity for, uh, you know, for UCF to maybe get some pressure on, on Holt Nailers and, and disrupt what they want to do offensively. Definitely something to look for on Saturday. Uh, Randy Charlton and Tremont Morris Brash and Zayas, and those guys got to be licking their chops. 
I mean, just looking at on paper, uh, who knows, like you said, who knows if it's true, if that's their actual weights, that's got to be one of the smallest offensive lines we're going to see all year. So maybe they have some speed and agility. Maybe it'll help them out, but size wise, they don't seem to be that impressive. So if we can get pressure on Ehlers and he may not have time to throw to those receivers we mentioned. Yeah. Well, they're also um, they're they're young at the cornerback spot too. They're they're starting two true sophomores. Both of them are five feet nine. Um, you know, we don't have the the biggest stable of receivers. You know, outside of Jacob Harris, uh, who's obviously pretty tall. Uh, Marlon Williams is is you know six foot, a little like six one, but a bit a bigger guy. So, you know, with some inexperience in the secondary there, uh, especially on the outside, it, it could be interesting to see you know if if we're able to kind of take shots on the field or what kind of defense they want to implore. You know, will they be a heavy zone team? You know, or are they going to let the corners match up one on one? But uh, again, not a lot of not a lot of um, experience in the secondary. They list five cornerbacks here, and they go sophomore, redshirt, sophomore, freshman, sophomore, redshirt, sophomore. Uh, the uh, the back end of the secondary, uh, they have senior, redshirt, freshman, junior, redshirt, sophomore, and then two seniors um, in the safety spot. So um, a lot of youth in that uh, in that secondary, Mike. You got to wonder if Heupel and uh, Golesh and Tucker are licking their chops as they're drawing up this week's game plan. We well, are talking about a defense last year that gave up over 40 points in six of their games, uh, over 50 a couple of times, I believe. So not the strongest unit uh, we've ever gone up against. We should be able to handle them pretty easily. Uh, they're, one of their defensive backs, Devondre Robinson, led the team. Well, it was tied with uh, Jaquan McMillan with three interceptions each last year. But Robinson was second on the team in tackles. And that's not a good sign when you're when you're cornerbacks or your safeties <laughs> is, is high on the tackle list on your team. You want those to be linebackers or in, inside linemen. So that just tells you pretty much everything you need to know about East Carolina's defense last year. And for those who don't recall, last year obviously UCF uh, played ECU. Uh, you know, it's a conference opponent. It's a, a division opponent in the old divisional setting. Obviously, no divisions uh, in the American this season. Uh, UCF played uh, played at home. And uh, they beat uh, the BDS Carolina 41-28. Mike, I don't remember that game being as close as the score indicates. Um, you know, I, I, I believe that one was was a uh, it's kind of a blowout. And if you look at the uh, sort of the stat lines, ECU scored a touchdown with about a minute to go uh, in the game uh, to, to pull it to 28-41. Uh, but UCF was was winning basically, you know, by they doubled them up really until that sort of garbage time touchdown from uh, from Ehlers to Sneed. So, um you know, it, it was certainly a game where UCF was able to to capitalize on a bunch. They had 611 total yards, uh, only had one turnover. They had 11 penalties in that game, Mike. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what that how that fares. Uh, Dylan threw two touchdown passes um, on on that side. Our leading rusher that day was Otis Anderson. Uh, Gabe Davis caught nine passes. So we'll we'll see. Uh, obviously, if the offensive production can maintain, but you know, at least last year it, it didn't seem like they had a, um, a a tough task of of scoring and putting up points on the defense. Yeah, I think that game looks a lot closer on paper afterwards than it actually was. I believe we were up pretty big at the half. Oh, yeah, five, 35 to over. 6 at halftime. All right. So I, who, I can't remember when the backups came in. I'm thinking probably early fourth quarter, and maybe we took our foot off the gas a little bit. They didn't really push the ball too much, which may be a different case this year because we saw in week one when the backups came in for that last drive, yes, we ran the ball for every time. But we were still moving quick. We were still snapping the ball quick. We snapped the ball with one second to go in the game. So that may be a sign of what's to come yet for this season, that we're not going to take our foot off the gas at all and 
even when the backups come in, they're going to be getting quality reps. We're still going to be throwing the ball, hopefully, and put up as many points as we can because style points matter this year more than any other. The other elephant in the room on this one, uh, this will be obviously UCF's second game of the season, um, and it'll be the first game that features uh, very uh, very few, if, if zero, fans. I believe the only um, folks in attendance for this game will be um, uh, parents or, or, or uh, of players or uh, coaches, things like that. It's a really family-only event, so you're looking at you know a handful of people in the stands. Obviously, they had 11,000, I think, was the announced attendance at Georgia Tech. Uh, UCF traditionally, when they go on road environments, Tulsa is a good example. Uh, you know, ECU is another one where they don't have a, a, a terribly raucous crowd. Um, you wonder what that's going to do to the team, how they're prepared for that psychologically to go into a, you know, a, basically a bone empty stadium and, uh, and play. Um, I know that everyone's downplaying in saying, you know, line them up and they're happy to play and they're on the field and blah, blah, blah. And while I think all that's true, Mike, you got to think that's going to be some bit of a, you know, of a, of an oddity. And, and you wonder if it's going to take time for the, for them to adjust to just to, you know, the silence of not having any fans at all in the stands. It's going to be a little weird for sure. And, and East Carolina usually does have, when they're good, their crowd is, is pretty strong. And as a visiting player, I think you feed off the, the energy from the crowd just as much as a home team does. So us coming in is going to be a little weird. Usually you want to silence the crowd while well, the crowd, there is going to, there are actually going to be, I believe, what, 350 people there? They're, they're allowing family of the team in, maybe a couple others. So there will be a few people scattered around in the stands. It won't be 100% empty, but you're not going to be able to hear them. Or actually, maybe you will hear individual people <laughs> screaming <laughs> not, since there's so little people in there. Um, I wonder if you'll hear any cursing or anything like that from the fans. It's possible. But – I mean, the, the team's just got to come out with their own energy. Heifel's been talking about it now for a couple of weeks. That That's just what we got to do is feed off each other on the sidelines, not worry about the stands, and just go play our best football. If you're useless, you're useless. So we'll we'll see if that, uh, you know, that, that statement can uh, can hold true. Uh, one of the other things that, that, you know, UCF always does a good job, Mike, they announced the uniform combo uh, on Thursday on social media. Uh, you, uh, you're, you're not somebody who gets to, in the fray too much on social media, but you actually had a pretty – uh, a pretty um, passionate response, I guess, to this one. UCF announced they're wearing gold helmets, white jerseys, and uh, and black pants. As you know, most people consider gold. It's it's typically been what we call big game gold. Uh, and and so you were, I guess, a little surprised to see them break out the gold lids for a second week in a row. Well, the big game gold thing just started last year. They they we wore the the gold for the Peach Bowl in seventeen, yes, and we wore it against Cincinnati for game day. So then last year they came out and said, well, guess what? We wear gold helmets on for big games. And okay, it sounds like a cool thing. If that's what we want to do, I'm down with it. And don't get me wrong. I like the gold helmets. You know me with the colors. I like the black and gold as much as possible. Going back to our days with Dante and the Citrus Bowl, it was black uh, shirts, gold helmets, gold pants. That's cool with me. But if you're going to call it big game gold, I don't think you can bust it out against East Carolina you're up. You're favored by four touchdowns against these guys. If this is a big game, they're all big games. Because if we go back to when we ranked the toughest games or the the, the games we we're most excited for before the season, this has got to be one of the ones lower on the list. So to call it a big game, and I'm not buying because it's on ABC either. I mean, what does that matter? Just because <laughs> just because it's on ABC, we got to wear the gold helmets. All the helmets still say UCF on it. 
Uh, I'm a little surprised that they went with the gold. That's all. Only because they call it big game gold. If they didn't call it big game gold, I would have had no reaction to it. It would just be another uniform combination. But now the fact that they started calling branding the gold helmets as big game gold took me back a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's a, certainly a fair. It's also, you know, UCF's pretty progressive with their uniform combos. It's it's kind of, I think it's kind of rare to see them kind of uh, go with some of the same elements in back-to-back games. You know, I feel like they typically try to switch that up, you know, either go white or, you know, with a black helmet, whatever. So um, I, I think that there was an article, um, I think UCF's posting now, they're, they're doing kind of a uniform review and, you know, there was a breakdown of, of when they wore it last and kind of what they did. So uh, it was interesting to see, you know, them go gold to, uh, two weeks in a row but look here's the thing great things to have to worry about right these are good problems to have when as a (laughs) fan base we're all barking at each other on twitter about uh what they should wear what they shouldn't wear you know what's a big game what's not a big game so these are these are good problems to have and obviously uh, you're going to want to tune in again saturday uh high noon you're going to want to click on your abc affiliate and uh and you will uh you will enjoy the game hopefully and it'll be a good one and you'll get back on with your saturday and, and still have some saturday night time to uh to enjoy it. So that's, uh, that's, that's the best we can break down ECU again. You know, we don't have a ton of tape on them. We don't have any tape on them. So uh, who knows what they're going to come out with this year. So last week, last week, Mike, we debated whether or not it was an advantage that Georgia tech played a game before UCF. Uh, now we'll have the opposite debate. Is it an advantage for UCF that they've been on the field and ECU hasn't, or is this advantage ECU? How do you, do, do you fall any differently than you did last week as it related to Georgia tech and UCF? Well, last week I did believe Georgia Tech had an advantage, slight advantage coming into the game, having played a week, whereas we were coming in without a game. We've seen teams this season uh, in their first game out not look as crisp, not look as sharp. If you're Navy, not know how to tackle at all because you haven't touched anybody all offseason. Who knows what these guys have been doing in the offseason? Have they been hitting each other? Have they been tackling? I, I'm pretty sure in the offseason at some point they had a bunch of guys test positive for a week or two there. Yeah. So they, they may have been off limits for a little while. They may come in a little rusty, a little slow to the beginning. And that's where we need to just jump on them right from the very start. We already discussed the advantages we have on our offense against their defense. If they're not coming in crisp and, and tackling well, it's going to be a long afternoon for East Carolina. It certainly will. And let's, you know, again, let's not forget the elephant in the room. Let's hope that uh, this game continues to, to go on. Obviously we've seen a slew of cancellations. So, uh, you know, up until the ball gets in the air, I guess all these things are always in flux. So hopefully we uh, will continue on this path. It looks like things are trending in that direction, obviously, for, for the game to take place on Saturday. But again, it's kind of the new norm every uh, every week now. It's kind of waiting around, making sure that that actually happens. So uh, so sit tight. I, I guess we'll all learn together as as, uh, as things break. Obviously, if Mike and I hear or know anything, we'll certainly make sure that we uh, we get you that information. Uh, but uh, that is uh, that is a ECU UCF uh, sort of preview breakdown. Kind of a, uh, again, part of the new Partly Sunny series here that we're doing on the Sons of UCF. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with a, a special guest. Uh, hopefully, it's a, it's a voice that you will recognize instantly, and uh, and you're going to hopefully hear some, uh, some really good insight on what to expect this weekend. You don't want to move. Don't go anywhere. Sons of UCF, Partly Sunny. Right back at you. The Sons have a new interview. Listen up. All right, when it, when it comes to sports, there are probably very few voices that you will recognize without me having to tell you the name. And I firmly believe that the uh, the guest on the line tonight is one of those voices. But I will do my best to intro him anyway because he's got a uh, he's got a great bio. He spent eight years in the NFL. He is a radio Hall of Famer. 
He is one of the stars of the uh, Sorry in Advance podcast, which, by the way, if you don't listen to that, it's actually a really funny, really, uh, really cool show. To, I, would, I would encourage you to check out available where all your your podcasts are, uh, are available. And uh, this Saturday, you will hear him uh, calling the game. He will be calling the UCF ECU game high noon on ABC. It's our distinct pleasure to welcome in Mike Golick to the program. Mike, first off, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us on the show. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Looking forward to calling this game. Well, let's uh, we'll get to UCF in a, in a little bit here, but let's start kind of big picture. Obviously, you know, the, the phrases unprecedented and just uncertainty have been thrown around so much with the season uh, of college football. But we're here. We've played a few weeks now. I know you've, you've called a couple of games as well. So based on what, what you thought might happen and kind of where we are now, what are your kind of your big picture thoughts on how the season has gone so far? Again, I know games have been canceled and there's a lot of concerns, but, you know, what have, what have your impressions and thoughts been so far on the first couple of weeks of the season? Well, I, I think, A, I'm happy that we're able to have some football as long as we, we truly have the health of everybody, number one. And I know sometimes that can, that can be questioned uh, uh, because of how much money is involved in this. But uh, you'd like to have the, the safety of the players and, and the people around the program as the number one priority. And, and I think you're seeing that with some of the games that are being postponed and or canceled. Listen, this, this is a cross your fingers year. It's the whole year forgetting just, just sports. But now that we got into sports, we saw the NBA and the WNBA and MLS and hockey all work relatively well in the bubble. We saw major league baseball have kind of a tough beginning uh, with the Marlins and with the Cardinals, uh, kind of an outbreak. They had to miss some games, but that's kind of smoothed out a bit. And we see the NFL a couple of weeks in doing really well, being baseball and the NFL not in a bubble. And then there's college. You know, there's the are you going to play? And then we had the split of the power five of two opting out and three opting in. And now, you know, the Big Ten coming back and maybe the Pac-12. And were players going to show up in June like their normal schedule? And those that did, it was still a different schedule because of all the testing that you had to do. So I think we're finding out with college football, it's kind of a cross your fingers week to week because you can take care of all your responsibilities. Well, listen, before I was going to call this game, uh, UCF and ECU, I was supposed to call the Notre Dame and Wake Forest game. But because in, in no fault here of Wake Forest, it was Notre Dame that had the positive tests. And between the positive tests and the contact tracing, enough guys were going to miss where they had to postpone it. You know, Wake Forest, you could be a team that's doing everything right, but then your opponent has some positive tests. And we've seen it a number of times already uh, that, that they test positive. All of a sudden, you don't have a game. You know, ECU has gone through that. So this is their first game of the season. So it's it's one of those where nobody likes it. Everybody's kind of dealing with the same set of, you know, kind of confusing rules. And you just every week you kind of hope you have a game. Well, actually, so breaking news, literally before you called, uh, um, the Pac-12 announced they actually will be playing. So they're going to do a seven-game schedule starting in November. So the uh, the fifth Power Five conference is apparently opting back in as well. But uh, let me ask you this. You obviously get a chance as you do your prep for games. You get to talk to players and coaches. And it's, it's obviously sign of the times, right? Now you're doing it via Zoom and via phone calls where maybe you do it on site when you're uh, calling games. What are you hearing from coaches and players? How are they adjusting to the season so far? And what are the biggest challenges that you're hearing from them as they kind of approach kind of the, the, the wait and see game, you know, as each week comes around? You know, each each team has, has dealt with it differently because they've been hit with it differently. Take a team I did last week, Louisiana Tech, coached by Skip Holtz. 
I mean, they were basically decimated to the point where it was just their first game last week, and they pulled out a last-second win. But, I mean, Coach Holtz talks about in January he likes to have his schedule set for the entire season, and he had it, and then COVID hit. And five times in March he had to change his schedule and then couldn't do another schedule until June. Coaches love to have their schedule. I heard players initially when we talked to them, they said what initially happened, they really just called it annoying. But then as they saw how serious this was going on around the country, then around the world, they really were like, oh, okay, this is some serious stuff that we need to we need to really understand the protocols that we're doing. And for colleges, it, it was a little different because when they kind of reported in June for those off-season programs, it was almost like a bubble for them. They were almost safer there than maybe at home if they went out in their communities because they were all together and were getting tested all the time. Quite honestly, it was when the students came back to the schools is when you started seeing some outbreaks in some places when you got to kind of college living again. So to have to deal with that, you know, uh, UCF, uh, their opponent this week, ECU, had two pauses, one in July and one in August because of some positive tests. And a lot of times the, fr the frustrating part could be if you test positive, that's one thing. You know you have to be isolated. But then in contact tracing, if you found, were found to be in contact with that person, there are times you have to quarantine longer than the person that tested positive. So there were, like I said, players that were just annoyed with the protocols, but after a while understood the importance of them. But you have to, I, I think most people are, but I'll talk from an athlete side because I was one basically all my life. You're a creature of habit. You know, after the season starts in college football or you finish your season, you do winter workouts. After winter workouts, you do spring ball. And then you go home for a couple of weeks and then you come back for summer voluntary camp. And then in August, you start hitting. Well, I mean, look what happened this year. Everybody's spring ball got messed up. When you, uh, Some people didn't even come back for summer camp. And if you did, you, could, you had to work out in like groups of four. You couldn't even put pads on at the normal time. Everybody kind of got thrown off their schedule. So everybody had to adjust to that. And it can, be, it can be a damning thing at times. The ones who adapt better and understand that you just have to, you have to deal with this and make the best of it are usually the ones that are going to come out come out the best. Mike, UCF fans were very optimistic coming into this season. With the Big Ten and the Pac-12 supposedly not participating, we thought this was going to be our best chance to make the top four and qualify for the playoff. How much does the news of the Big Ten returning and now the Pac-12 coming back hurt UCF or really any other of these G5 programs that might go undefeated this year? Oh, it absolutely hurts them. We know it. We've seen it. You know, we, we've seen it happen time and time again. Certainly UCF has seen it. Um, so, yeah, it's going to hurt. But what's going to be interesting to me is at some point the committee is going to have to decide, is there a minimum number of games you have to play to be considered for the college football playoffs? Because you're talking about the Pac-12 the Pac having a seven-game schedule. So if a Pac-12 goes 7-0 and and there's a, a conference that plays 11 games, and someone's 10 and one, and they played four more games and have one loss. Do you take a seven and O team, you know, and look at the big 10, they're going to play nine games right now, but they have zero wiggle room. Like we've already seen some teams have to postpone and, and can make up games like Notre Dame and Wake Forest. They couldn't play this, this week. They're going to reschedule and play December 12th. They have a little bit of, 
of cushion because of when they started. The Big Ten doesn't. So what if one of the top teams, say Ohio State, has to miss a game? What if they now have eight games? How many games is enough to say we should be counted toward or in the vote for the college football playoffs? I don't envy you. I, I have said when I'm done working in the media, I want to be on the, the playoff committee. I, I really think I would enjoy that. I love watching film. I love watching games. And I, and I actually think I could do a pretty good job there. Plus, I hear the buffets are really good, the catered <laughs> meals in there. But, I mean, they have a t- – I don't envy them this year. They have a tough job. And I think it's got to start with – do you have to give a minimum number of games to, for you to even be considered to go into the college football playoffs? We saw Major League Baseball this year, even after they threw out the first pitches of some games, they changed the, the playoff rules. They added teams to the playoffs. Do you think it's possible for the playoff to still be expanded this season? Is it too late for them to make that change? I, you know, that, that's, a, that's a technical question I don't have the answer for because of the bowls involved and the money involved. So... I would like to say in this year, you should be able to kind of be flexible with everything. And if you think that's something that could help in this situation to do it. Um, so I, I certainly would be for it. I have been one of those as a proponent to expand the playoff at some point. And we know as far as contracts and the such, they, they can't really do it for a number of years. But, I, you know, that, that, that actually is a great question. In this year, because you'll have conferences and teams with different amount of games, would that be the fair way to do it instead of excluding it to include them, but expand it? I, I wish I had a better answer for you. That I think that is a great question to ask. If you want to pin me down for an answer, I would probably say they would no. It would still be just four teams. It seems like the perfect time to do it. So it makes too much sense, really. And plus, these bowl games may not be having fans in the stands. No. Would they still even have those bowl games? Oh, I, I, I have a hard time believing there's going to be bowl games. Already you see bowl sponsors switching yearly because they, they're, they're not making enough money or it's not worth their investment to it. So now if you can't have fans come down to the bowl game, spend money around the city, in the area, and then buy tickets for the games, I would find it very, very hard to believe that you're going to have many bowl games this year. This season, we've already seen three Sun Belt teams knock off Big 12 teams. We saw what UCF did to Georgia Tech last week. Outside of Clemson, the ACC really hasn't been that great in a while now. Do you see the gap closing between the G5 and the P5? And is it time we stop using those labels for these teams? Uh, it, that, that won't happen, unfortunately. I know <laughs> what you're saying because you're one of what, in, in that group, but I don't think that's going to happen. In fact, there, there's the, the talk now is that the Power Five – would actually break away from the NCAA. I don't see that happening because I don't think those commissioners can all get on the same page. Hell, they couldn't get on the same page in this. You know, they all kind of did their own thing because that's what the NCAA said. Hey, uh, we want all the players to be safe and you conferences decide what you want to do. They just kind of washed their hands of it all, left it up to the conferences, and the Power Fives couldn't even all get together for that. So I eventually don't think they're going to break apart. And no, I, I don't think it will ever be more encompassing of other conferences. I think it will be the power five. Uh, and listen, I, I guess unless you get a consistent number of years where the power five, the lower ones in the conferences are getting knocked off by non-power five conferences, then you can maybe see it. Understand this year what happened with the, with the big 12. And, and I did one of those games, Louisiana, beat uh, Iowa State uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think a lot of people are going to chalk it up to this year and just teams 
that were hit with COVID and weren't ready in time. I, I think when this year ends, a lot of people, while, while we'll probably, if we can make it through the season, we'll crown a national champion. I just think well, by the time we get to next year, people are all going to say, let's forget last year and what happened and kind of start anew. Mike, let's talk about UCF for, for a second here. So here's a program since 2017. We've gone 35 and four. We've been to two New Year's Six Bowl games. We finished every season ranked in the top 25. Yet it feels like it's a program that is still fighting for respect, particularly on sort of the national level or scale. I guess kind of a two-parter. A, why do you think that is? And B, what do you think UCF needs to do to, to sort of start to, to really kind of earn and get that, get that respect that they're seeking? I don't think there's anything they can do because teams aren't going to want to play them. See, you, you see what, what some of the non-Power Fives do is they schedule the, the big-time Power Fives early in the season. And because they're actually, they were their own worst enemy because they were so good. Now what, what power five wants to schedule them early on, you know, take the chance of losing to them. So they're, they're in a tough spot. They don't get, they don't get the the respect they, they should get because they're not playing a power five schedule. So everybody says, Oh yeah, but look what they're, look at the conference they're playing in. And they could be like, well, fine. We want to play some power fives. But like I said, power fives in their non-conference games, probably don't want to don't want to uh, uh, schedule UCF. So outside of them getting to if I, I'll say it this way, if the if the system stays the same way it, it is, they and every other non power five team is basically screwed because we've seen them go undefeated and we've seen them get left out. And if you can't get a game with the big boys to show, hey, I can play at Ohio State or I can play in Alabama or I can play at Clemson you know, outside of the conference and win that game, that would be the thing that would raise some eyebrows. So the only other thing I would say, again, if the system stays the same as it is, would be UCF trying to get into a Power 5 conference. Well, from your perspective, what is the, the perception of UCF in the national media, right? I'm not going to ask you to defend and litigate all of the national media guys who, who make comments. And, you know, Booger McFarland rolled his eyes the other day when he talked about UCF not being in, in the Florida Big Three. I guess, what do you, from your standpoint, obviously doing, you know, national radio for so many years, you know, what, what is your, or what do you think the perception is of UCF out there? My perception, my thought process of them is they deserve a shot to see if they can belong but the system won't let them in. I, I don't know what they would do. I mean, I, I love watching them play. I mean, God knows you can't go get a snack when their offense is <laughs> on the field. Or you, you know, you could miss you, know, you miss the scoring drive since most of them are under three minutes anyway. So, listen, I, I, when it was first happening and everybody was, you know, certainly I understood UCF fans, you know, saying we deserve it, we deserve it. I, I was one of those skeptical ones soon saying, saying, yeah, yeah, you know, but you're not playing anybody. But then I would sit there and think, well, it's not their fault. It's the conference they're in. And the more they win, the more the big-time schools won't want to play them out of conference. So they, they're stuck in a vicious cycle that's not their fault of being too good and not being in a Power 5 conference. So my, my perception of them is, is I would like to see them get a chance against the top teams to see what they could do. You know, and I have no idea what to expect when they would get up there. I, I honestly don't. They could they could be in a game and win it, or they could get, get knocked off the field. I, I, I honestly don't know. But we, we won't know until it happens, and that's why we keep trying to say, can they get in there? That is one of the reasons I would like to see the playoffs expanded, because there is usually one or two non-Power Fives 
that are really good each year that we're saying, God, if they had a chance. And to me, expanding the playoffs at least will give a team like a UCF a chance. And then we can see all players want to do. Nobody. Listen, when this was decided by the polls, it was the way it was when I was playing. That's the way it was. But you're letting writers and media people decide who's number one, right? I mean, players want to decide that stuff on the field. So you go on the field, you win all your games, and then you're still not invited to the party at the end. I can understand the players and the fans all saying, well, what the hell are we supposed to do? So that's why I say, you know, expand the playoffs and give those teams a chance. Say, okay, here you go. You're now in the playoffs. You're right where you want to be. Let's see what you got. Even if we did get in the playoffs and say we got blown out, everybody would use that against us, but that doesn't stop them from saying anything about Oklahoma who gets blown out in the playoffs every year. I or, agree. I mean, Florida State lost by 50 to Oregon one time. And, Hell, and Notre Dame got blown out a year as well. I, <laughs> I, I agree with you, but, but you know what the perception is, and that's going to be the perception, well, they didn't belong. Well, because you're right. Uh, Oklahoma out of the Big 12 is making the playoffs, but they get blown out in the playoffs. So I, I agree with everything you're saying. Yet the perception will still be, oh, they got their chance and they got blown out so they don't belong. And unfortunately, that won't change. Unfortunately, that's kind of the lot the non-Power 5 conferences are in right now. All right, so you've been doing some research leading up to the game this week, watching the UCF film. What's caught your eye watching that game against Georgia Tech last week? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, Dylan Gabriel, what he did, throwing for over 400 yards for the first time and four touchdowns he had himself a hell of a game it's a fun offense to watch just seeing the ball get spread around the way it does i know marlon williams was mostly the recipient with it with his 10 catches but i love that pace because i love the chess match the pace they're going to have because you could actually see georgia tech not being set on defense or getting caught with not enough players on defense or not being able to to converse enough with each other to be ready at the snap. And, and that's, that's what this tempo tries to do. It not only wants to out execute you, but it wants to, it wants to have you confused right out of the gate. And that's what happens on defense. You could have nine, 10 guys playing the right way. One or two guys, not you're going to get nailed. You're going to get crushed. So that's what UCF likes to do. And they have the talent to back it up. So I love watching that on the offensive side, but being, being a former defensive player, I, I love watching attacking defenses. Most of my uh, most of my years in the NFL were with Buddy Ryan and, and the Philadelphia Eagles, and he was just an attacking defense. And that's that's how defensive players love to play. Just get after it. They love stunting up front. Does UCF? They love the twist. They love attacking. They love playing downhill. They love the obviously every you know you could list off the stats of tackle for losses and what they did and what they've done, but that's where they like to play the game. So I am always, always loved it. I love it. It reminds me, I remember when the the greatest show on turf, when the Rams were were winning all the time. And I remember talking to Kurt Warner because they would have turnovers, you know, because they, they were just a high passing, high volume offense. They would have turnovers. He said, we didn't care about the turnovers because we knew we'd outscore it. We knew we would make up for it with touchdown after touchdown. So we knew we'd give up some some turnovers, but we knew it'd be okay. You know, that's kind of the, the UCF defense is they know because they attack so much, they may give up some big plays. You may hit them a couple of times. Listen, there were some busted coverages there where the Georgia Tech running backs were running free on routes out, out of the backfield, you know, uh, last week. 
they know as a defense they're going to give some plays up, but they, they're so confident in their attacking that they're going to make enough big plays that they'll, you know, you'll, it, we're doing this so often, we know occasionally we're going to let one go. That's okay. We're going to make enough big plays to make up for it. And I, I love watching the defense like that. You mentioned East Carolina. They haven't played a game yet this year, and, and all the breaks they had to take in the offseason. What are you expecting out of them coming up against this UCF team this week? Well, it was interesting because last week we had Louisiana Tech against Southern Miss. Southern Miss had played a game. They lost it, and Louisiana Tech hadn't. They had some, some postponements and hadn't played. And, I mean, Skip Hall, and they were a team at one point. That, that's when Hurricane Laura hit near them, and all their they lost all their power. They had – like one positive test. And then and when they lost power, all the players had to go stay with their families or with each other. And there was no social distancing. And all of a sudden they had like 38 positive tests. So they had to postpone their game. Skip Holt said, I have no idea what to expect out of my team because we haven't had enough time to really prepare. Well, they end up winning that game in the last second over seconds over something this on a touchdown pass that went to review. So he wasn't sure what they were going to get. I'm sure ECU, they can, they can feel like they're as ready as they can be given the circumstances. But I guarantee you their coaches are, are when they're amongst themselves, are saying, we're not really sure what we're going to get. You know, we, we, had a, we had a start, we had a stop, we had a start, we had a stop, we had a game postponed. You don't know. It's one of those, I'm sure the players for East Carolina are going to come out, I mean, just on fire just because they have so much pent-up aggression and energy because they haven't been able to play. But A, can you sustain it? And B, can you make sure you don't make enough mistakes against the UCF team that knows how to, on both sides of the ball, capitalize on your mistakes? So I, it's, it's one of those things where you're just really not sure what you're going to get out of a team that hasn't practiced on a regular schedule and doesn't have any games under their belt. Mike, a lot of people maybe don't remember this, but you started your ESPN career. You, you called a lot of college football games, so this is yes. kind of a return back to uh, to the so quote-unquote booth. I know you're not in a, in a booth per se right now, but uh, how, how have you enjoyed the transition back to uh, to calling games week after week? The, the biggest difference for me is when I called games, I was doing a radio show five days a week. Three days a week, I was doing what is now NFL Live was called NFL Tonight back then. It was me, Mark Malone, Sean Salisbury, and Merrill Hodge. We started what is NFL Live. We started it. It was called NFL Tonight. So I would do five five mornings of radio. Three nights a week, I would do NFL Live, and then I would fly out on Friday to do a game on Saturday or Sunday and come home on, sun, on Sunday and start or Friday or Saturday, come home Sunday and start the whole process over again. So there was a lot of jobs and to have to prepare for each of them. Now I'm, I'm just doing this. I'm not doing any studio shows. I'm not doing any more radio. So I'm just, all I do all week is golf and prepare for a game. <laughs> I mean, so I'm not going to lie. It's pretty nice. I mean, I'm a, film, I'm a film junkie, so I watch a ton of tape. I think it's the best way to get to know players. But in the beginning, it's been hard because like last week when I had Louisiana Tech, well, there was no this year film to watch. I had to watch last year's film, and a lot of those guys aren't there anymore. For ECU, no games this year, so I had to watch last year. Same thing. Only, you know, some of the guys are back this year. So, but I watch as much as I can. I read as much as I can, study as much as I can, talk to players and coaches, and do the game. But it's, it, I'm like, wow, so this is what it's like to just be an analyst, and that's <laughs> it, you know, for, for a game. 
this is great. I, I really dig it. I've, I've always loved calling games, but I get to put so much more time into it now. Yeah. i tell you what I heard. Uh, I heard your call um, on the uh, uh, Louisiana Iowa state game and it was good to have you in the, in the booth. It sounded like a, you're listening to an old friend talk, which was, which was awesome, but take us behind the scenes a little bit though. I know you're not in the actual at the game site. I know you won't be at the game site this Saturday as well. What kind of challenges does that present for you as a broadcaster calling a game remotely? Your partner, I think Dave Pash, is not going to be in the room with you as well. So what kind of challenges does that present for you calling in from like a cold Bristol studio? So it, it's it's hard enough not doing it at the game site. But then when you're separate, like tonight, um, you know, starting starting shortly is UAB in South Florida. Mm-hmm. My son Mike is calling that game with Matt Berry. Now, Mike is here in Bristol because he does the radio show. And Matt, Derry, Matt Berry does Sports Center and other things here in Bristol. So they're in a studio together in Connecticut here. So at least they're together. You know, you could have, you know, look at each other and have the, the, the spatial awareness and all that. And, and at least look at each other for signals and stuff like that. But you're still doing it off a monitor. For me, it's been I'm in 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 Connecticut, Dave Pash is in Arizona, and whoever our sideline person is, and is Paul Carcaterra this week, he is actually at the game site. So he'll be uh, at the game site while I'm – so we're in three different spots. So it can be tough. And calling a game off a monitor, I, I love the whole thing. I love watching what's going on on the sideline, seeing any kind of interaction there. I, I love watching things away from the ball of what's going on. But now I'm, I'm kind of – I'm kind of limited to only what the cameras are showing. Now, the good thing is I have a, a lot of monitors in the studio I'm at where I can see a lot of the different angles, but it's usually something I see all at once and I don't have to look at a bunch of monitors. So while it does have its drawbacks, you know, and then we try and make sure none of us are, are as you guys would know, if you're not in the same spot, try not to step on one another. So we, we try not to do that. Well, we got some good reps in last week and got a feel for each other. So I think it'll go even better this week. But uh, listen, it's what we have to do. So you just deal with it. I don't want to sit there and complain about it and say, oh, God, you know, woe is us. No, I still get to call a college football game. So I'm happy about it. But it definitely does have its limitations. Well, Mike, listen, you've uh, you've been really gracious with your time. We appreciate it so much. But before we end any interview on our show, we, we do a, a kind of a quick five questions. So it could be music, movies, sports, just kind of random questions. So we've got uh, well, we do five plus one because we're not really good at math around here. So uh, so the top five is actually six questions. But uh, are you prepared to, to face these uh, hard hitting questions? Oh, my God. How nervous should I be? Not very, because this is an easy one, I think, <laughs> off the top. Again, I, I listened to you on the radio for probably like 17 years straight. And uh, if, if you did that, and I saw you on TV a ton. Everyone knows your love for donuts, Mike. So give me your go-to donut. Mike Golick is going to go out and get himself a nice cup of joe and a donut. You can order only one donut, Mike. What are you going to order? Well, I'll stay away from, like, the specialty shops that have the crazy ones that go with more of a normal donut. It would be a chocolate icing cream filled. And I don't mean Bavarian cream. I don't like the custard stuff. I mean, like, the buttercream or the, oh. the whipped cream, like that kind of cream. Nice. So – Chocolate icing, whipped cream donut with my cup of joe, and I'm good. Nice. I remember watching your brother Bob star on Saved by the Bell the college years. Yeah. And I know you <laughs> you did some acting yourself, too. You did, you're an episode of uh, Guiding Light, an episode of Tilt. Is that something you'd like to get back in now that you're just playing golf and calling one game a week? You want to get back so, into acting? So here's what I want to do, and I've said this, and i said it to, like, Howie Long used to, would used to be in um, – in these action movies. Uh, I talked to, to Dwayne Johnson, the rock uh, about this as well. And some of the other guys in the action movies, 
here's what I want to do. I, I don't want to be an actor. I don't want to go do this or that. I want to be killed in a movie <laughs> or a TV show. You know, maybe I, I'd like to, I'd like to be an extra on like Yellowstone, one of the great, hot TV shows out and have rip, you know, kill me in it. You know, that's what I want to do either in a movie. I want to get like, and I mean killed, I mean like blown up something horrible where I'm a bad guy and maybe I get a punch or two in and then I get obliterated. That's my goal for TV or the, the big screen is to get killed in action. <laughs> All right, Mike, I got to take advantage of this opportunity to ask you a question. Um, it's a sports question. It's a football question. I apologize. What the hell were the Falcons doing on Sunday? What, can, you, can you give me any reasonable uh, explanation as to why nobody in the Falcons would go anywhere near that onside kick? So the onside kick, the, the front line of the receiving team of the onside kick, their job is to, on a normal onside kick, is to take on the, the kicking team that is coming down to get the ball. That front line is supposed to block all those guys, so the second line usually gets the ball, uh, and they're the ones that, that will catch the ball. In this case, and, and I was finally happy to see a, a decent onside kick, even though it was very different, because I'm always amazed. Kickers practice kickoffs and field goals in a two-and-a-half-hour practice, and they all stink at onside kicks. It blows my mind. What, what else are you doing? Practice a friggin' onside kick. Well, this was a wild one. As you said, it was just spinning. And I equated it to, in baseball, that first baseman or third baseman, you know when that, when that, when that either the bunt or that real slow ground ball gets hit, and it's just rolling on the line. And that first or third baseman is just waiting to see if it's going to roll foul or do they need to pick it up. And when it's fair, because they know if they wait, it's good. The guy's going to be safe. So they're hoping it'll roll foul. So I guarantee you, these, these guys aren't done. They knew what they were supposed to do. And anybody that says, well, they didn't know they could touch the ball before 10 yards. That's not true. They know they didn't think it was going to go 10 yards. So, but, so they didn't want to step in front of the 10 yards and touch the ball. Then it's a live ball. Now, one of them still could have jumped on it, but as a spinning ball, Probably none of them wanted to take the chance of doing that and not recovering it. Now it's a live ball. If that thing just keeps spinning and goes to the sideline at eight yards, it's a dead ball. Falcons get the ball. The issue they had and something that I'm sure will be worked on everywhere now is if you're going to do that, they're probably going to say either if you have the chance, jump on the ball. If not, you got to knock the cowboy guys out of the way or you got to block or you got to almost like like box them out like in basketball. So if it does get to 10 yards, you got to be the one to jump on it. That was just one, a fluke. You rarely see that. Those guys knew what to do. It was just such an out-of-the-ordinary onside kick. All right, I got another food question for you. When you're watching a football game, what's the best food to watch, to, to watch the game with? you get a big sandwich or do you get some chicken wings or what do you like? Normally, because I'm sitting in, in my chair, I don't want anything that's too messy because I would usually like wings or nachos or something like that. But I also don't want to get it messy on me. So I would probably go with a, a cleaner version of some type of snack like um, like sliders, mm. something like that. Something still small, but, but very sliders and chips, things like that. Nothing that's too messy. Uh, I don't mind messy at the table. Well, I'm watching like the the red zone channeler watching a bunch of college games. I'm in my, my lounge chair and I don't really want to be messy there. Well, Mike, now that we're long lost friends, um, what are the odds that uh, we can get you to drop our names on the broadcast on Saturday? What are the odds we can get a quick shout out to Adam and Mike or after a play, you can go, Hey, you know, Adam and Mike told me about Otis Anderson. What are, what are the chances of that happening? 
Probably slim to none. Ah, I figured. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll try next time. Probably, listen, I'm just being I'm just being honest. But by God, somehow, some way, if I could do it, you never know. All right. Hey, if it's a blowout and I'm looking for fill material, you never know. <laughs> okay. We'll we'll be on, on, on edge of our seat for a blowout. <laughs> All right, I've got one more quick one. Yep. Last year, Mike Vrabel, coach of Tennessee, he said going into the season that he would cut his penis off to win the Super Bowl. How far would you go back to your go back to your playing days? You never got to win the Super Bowl. How far would you have gone? I, I don't expect you to say that far, but not, not that go? far. Not that far. <laughs> not, I'm, I'm not cutting off body parts, though. Maybe part of a pinky, like Ronnie Lott did way back in the day. Uh, but yeah, I'm staying away from some body parts of cutting it off. I would I would do and or sacrifice a decent amount to have gotten a Super Bowl. I mean, listen, that was the goal, man. I mean, you did anything to get on the field every Sunday and. And you sacrifice, you leave parts of your body, and I guess Rabel was willing to, you know, on the field. Um, again, I don't think many people would go that far, and I and I, I highly doubt it actually would have been carried out had they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, but but you sacrifice a lot, you know. You and and I did it. I've talked about it many times. You, you take pain pills. You take the needle. You know, look at what happened to Terod Taylor from the Chargers. You know, took a needle for the busted rib and had his lung punctured by the needle and it's still out now. I mean, guys, guys will do what they have to some, sometimes maybe, I mean, I was always asked when I was doing that stuff, Hey, uh, you know, don't you think about what it's going to ha- happen to your body at 40 or 50? I said, I want to be on the field on Sunday. That's all that matters to me. And I'll do whatever I have to do to get on the field. And a lot of guys do that. So, you know, they're, they're sacrificing a lot to be out there every week, but, uh, I would have to, I would, yeah, I think I can honestly say 100% of the players would not go as far as Rabel said he would go. (laughs) I hope so. Uh, Well, look, Mike, we, uh, I think I speak for everybody when I say, I I know I miss you a ton on the radio. I I know a lot of people do as well. So, uh, you know, but I'm certainly glad I found the Sorry in Advance podcast. You and your family are are, are a riot. It's a really good change of pace in my podcast regimen. So if you haven't heard Mike's uh, Sorry in Advance podcast with his family, you're also doing some solos on there, right? You're doing some sort of some one-on-one stuff. Yeah, I'm starting to do some, you know, uh, listen, I, for the last 22, 23 years, I'm used to talking four hours every morning. I, I need an outlet every now and then. So, Sometimes I need to be away from the rest of the family just to kind of talk some sports. Um, and, and I love doing that. I'll take questions from people out there as well when I do it. But the, the, the Sorry in Advance podcast, that that was all my wife. She started that, and we've been doing that going on two years now. And let me tell you, we, we, we kind of have a rundown, <laughs> but it gets thrown out so quickly, usually because of my daughter, Sydney, or my daughter-in-law, Jenny, say some of the stupidest stuff out there. And then – it just slowly spirals downhill into a half hour of just pure dreck at times, but we love doing it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm glad I found that. I'm glad that uh, you're doing some stuff on there too. And we can't wait to hear your call in the game. And it's good to hear in the booth. So we, uh, I know we'll all be tuned in Saturday at noon to, uh, to hear you uh, give uh, hopefully cheer our, our UCF Knights on to a big win, Mike, but we appreciate you taking some time for joining us. Be safe. And uh, hopefully we can catch up soon. I appreciate that. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks Mike. This is UCF head coach Josh Heupel, and I go 1-0 every week with my guys Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Charge on, go Knights. All right, that was a blast. Uh, cool to catch up with Mike Golick. Listen, I, I grew up with Mike Golick um, in some respects. My first real job, I remember getting in the car with my first day, Mike, and I turned the radio on, and it was like a godforsaken hour in the morning, and I was like, who are these idiots talking sport? What is happening right now? 
And uh, lo and behold, I learned that my commute would be at that time for pretty much the rest of my natural life. Uh, and so I grew up uh, uh, listening to a lot of Mike Golick on uh, Mike and Mike and then Golick and Wingo. So uh, super treat to have him on. I was really pumped when I saw that uh, he was going to be calling the game. Actually, I think he broke the news, actually. Him and his wife, I think, broke the news that he would be calling the UCF game and that it was moved to ABC. So Golick gets a, a bit of a breaking news uh, tip on that one. But uh, it was really, uh, really awesome to get a chance to catch up with him. The Suns have done it again. We did George O'Leary twice now. We've got Maury Povich and now Mike Golick on the program. What an awesome get. What a great guy. So much fun to talk to. And you're right. Just hearing his voice just takes you back to, how, I don't know how many hours I spent listening to Mike and Mike and hearing him call college football games. So that, that was awesome. You, you think he has any interest now in rebooting the whole Mike and Mike thing? Maybe me and him? Well, you had a a chance to ask him. I mean, you were in there. He did say he's dying to get back in front of the microphone. Um, You know, I I mean, I I was going to give him a standing offer to to join the UCF uh, Sons UCF podcast here. I didn't know if he'd be into that, though. Seemed like I thought we made good friends with him. And then, you know, didn't sound he was like really interested in dropping our name on the show. So I didn't want to press my luck, but maybe we'll send back another email and just say, hey, we enjoyed having Mike on the show. Uh, Mike wants to know when you guys are starting the new show. I mean, we'll, we'll just try that. But what, what happens? It doesn't hurt to ask. Wait, what happens right? to me? What do I do? Am I just, what do I do? No, we'll bring you on. Okay. Special okay. Mike and Mike featuring Adam. Okay. With Adam. All right. What do you think about? I mean. We'll figure that part out. Featuring sounds better than with. With just sounds like I'm there. <laughs> featuring is like, wow, featuring Adam. Uh, but no, it was really cool to catch up with Golik. I, I look forward to his call on, on Saturday. Yeah, like I said, man, I was not even, I'm not really kind of, wasn't trying to, to, you know, BS him or, uh, or butter him up. But when I turned on that first game, it literally was like, oh yeah, that's goal. Like, like you heard his voice and it was almost just like a, uh, like a comforting feeling. So it's good to catch up with him and, uh, get his thoughts on UCF and really just his candid thoughts, Mike. I think that's the other thing that was really interesting is that, you know, a lot of the people we have on are, you know, let's face it, they're, they're kind of biased towards UCF, right? We have on UCF players, coaches, and folks with the program. And so it was, it was great to have somebody on that, you know, doesn't necessarily have that, that same background and kind of get his thoughts on where UCF is now, you know, where they're, where they've come from, where they're going and kind of his blunt honesty on what the future looks like for UCF. I mean, it certainly, uh, you know, probably wasn't what we all want to hear, right? Because I think he was pretty honest in what, what he thought would happen. And the reality is he's probably not wrong, which sucks. Uh, but it's, it's really cool, cool to get sort of a national outside of perspective on UCF. He seems like he was one of those guys a few years ago that, you know, he comes from Notre Dame and he looks at UCF like this little school. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you guys? But it looks like he's one of these guys now that his mind is starting to change now. And he's been seeing UCF do what we've been doing for the last few years. We're happy to change minds all the time. Right? You know, what we did to Herb Street and some of these other guys seems like he's coming on board now after this week, once he calls the game, let's see what kind of perspective he has on us. UCF, we will change your minds free of charge. So hopefully you enjoyed this uh, this little partly sunny edition of the Suns UCF. Uh, uh, we had a cool opportunity to get Mike Golick on the show, so we thought we would uh, certainly take advantage. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, and if you're enjoying what we're doing here, uh, make sure you subscribe to our new podcast feed. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, you know, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, wherever you listen to shows, we are there. If you'd be so kind, if you like what we do, if you think that you know, us getting some good guests is cool and all, and you want to give us a rating, Mike, can you give the uh, the, uh, the audience an understanding of what kind of rating they should give us? I don't think they let you do anything more than five stars. Yeah. So I guess five stars is what you should click on. Well, listen to Uncle Mike, five stars it is. So if you could give us a rating and review, that would be totally cool. And 
If you like what we do here, you're going to want to check back in on Twitter, on Facebook, and probably even on YouTube if I can get the button to work. Uh, on Saturday, right about an hour before kickoff, we are going to do the Sons of UCF live stream pregame show again, uh, featuring Trace Chelko again. And uh, we've got a couple of cool wrinkles worked out this time. Mike's done some, uh, he spent some time in the lab this week. He's got something to cook up. We're working on a couple of special guests uh, and a couple of fun things. So, again, uh, 11 a.m. ish Eastern Time, Saturday. Find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook. You can search at Sons of UCF and you'll find us there. And uh, we are going to go live. And uh, it was a lot of fun last week, Mike. We enjoyed it. Sounds like a lot of the fans enjoyed it. We want to hear your questions, though. We want to hear your comments. So make sure you, you throw those in the chat. I will be happy to throw those up on the screen and, uh, and, and take all thoughts and comments. So if you like what we do here, uh, check us out Saturday and hopefully every, uh, every week before the game on our, our Sons of UCF Live pregame show. I told you guys we, we're going to get better as the weeks go on. We've only done one. The first one was great. But I expect even better this week. And I don't know about everybody else, but before the UCF game, I'm pacing around. I'm waiting for the game to start. Now you've got this show to tune into. And you, some people watch college game day, and they talk about UCF for two minutes. And everybody goes nuts. They post it all over Facebook and Twitter. Oh, look, they talked about us for two minutes, and, and here it is. Well, guess what? you got your guys, Adam and Mike, now. you got a full hour. Trace Trelko coming to you live, taking your questions, talking about the game, getting you hyped up, giving you updates letting you know what's going to happen this Saturday and having some fun at the same time. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We have a good time and it's exactly what you need to get ready for kickoff. And this week it's a 12 o'clock game. So there's no other games to sit around and watch all. all, Why not just tune in and check out the pregame show. You sold me, Mike. I will be there. How's that? I will be there. Uh, (laughs) Hopefully you guys will be there too. Again, we appreciate everybody. This show doesn't happen without everybody out there listening and, and writing and commenting and giving us some good feedback. So all of you out there, we appreciate you. We are, uh, you know, when, by the time you hear this, we are getting so close to kickoff. So let's let's cross our fingers, as Mike Golick said, that the game goes off, as always. And uh, no matter what happens, check back with our feed. Episode number 100 of the Sons of UCF will be premiering next week. And true Sons of UCF fashion, we have no idea what we're going to talk about yet, but that's okay. Whatever it is, check back next week in episode 100. We'll recap the ECU game. We'll do a bunch of fun stuff, so don't uh, don't miss that at all. Until then, everybody, enjoy, uh, enjoy the end of your week here, and uh, we can't wait to see you guys all on Saturday for the pregame show. Go Knights. Charge on. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.